Hello and welcome everyone. I'm Vuk and this is Unablock Podcast. This show is exploration of software, technology, ideas, business, and science. This podcast is brought to you by Anablock. Anablock is a system integrator and Salesforce consulting partner. We specialize in custom implementation work. Our team has expertise in solution architecture and custom development. You can reach us by visiting our website at anablock.com. Anablock is spelled A-N-A-B-L-O-C-K. I do want to also announce that we're currently hiring. Uh, We have uh, job openings for Salesforce developers, admins, solution architects, and project managers. Uh, We're based in San Francisco, but we're open uh, to remote work, so you can be based anywhere in the world. Uh, We are an international company. We are headquartered in San Francisco, but we have uh, team members uh, across three continents now, or four actually. So we have uh, team members in, in India, in Morocco, U.S., Eastern Europe. And um, yeah, we're definitely open to any country, anywhere. Uh, so today's guests are Tony and Rich. Uh, we're talking about Austin, Texas. Uh, this is a little bit different of an episode. Generally, we talk about technology, but um, Austin is becoming a tech hub, or it probably has been a tech hub for now, but it's just becoming a more and more popular uh, destination for tech workers. It's a great city. I have lived in in Texas for 10 years in in Dallas, but I did visit Austin many times. This was primarily in the 90s when I was there, and I know things have changed quite a bit, but even back then it was a very cool city definitely the best city in Austin, in uh, Texas and um, a lot of tech workers from San Francisco from the Bay Area are moving to Austin a lot of tech companies are uh, relocating to Austin so there's definitely a trend uh, behind uh, uh, people from the Bay Area moving to Austin so in this episode, we wanted to spend a little bit more time talking about Austin, and um, that's why we invited Tony and Rich. Uh, Tony has been living in Austin for uh, probably over 20 years now. Um, we met while we were in college back in like early to mid-90s, so a long time ago. So he has a lot of... Uh, expertise in the real estate market in Austin obviously has been there for a long time so he has seen the transition uh, that has been going on for probably a while now and um, Rich is also uh, basically Tony and Rich are managing partners of Rebel Realty Investment Partnership we're going to put some more information about both of them in the description uh, of this episode of the um, Unablock podcast series. So you can read a little bit more and visit their website. But uh, their company called Rebel Real Estate, I'm sorry, Rebel Realty Investment Partnership is based in Austin and they are um, 
real estate investment firm. So we talk about Austin. We talk about the hot real estate market over there. Uh, also, why people are moving to Austin, the history of the software industry in Austin, and of course, the real estate investment opportunities in Austin. So I hope you will enjoy this show. Rich and Tony, thanks for uh, being guests on this uh, Unblock uh, episode, uh, podcast episode. As I was uh, talking to you guys earlier, uh, it's, it's amazing how many people from the Bay Area are you know, either talking about Austin or basically already moving there. A lot of businesses, a lot of software companies for the last few years have been either up moving completely, like moving their uh, headquarters, like a good example, obviously, is Tesla, or have been op opening satellite offices, like larger campuses, like Facebook has done. So anyway, before we kind of start digging into Austin and understanding Austin, uh, let me first uh, learn a little bit more about you two. So maybe we can start with you, Rich. Uh, you are a transplant to Austin. You moved there a few years back. So do you want to just kind of tell us about your background and how long have you been in Austin and basically what are you doing in Austin? Sure thing. Yeah, my background is uh, is, is pretty different than most here, I think. I, uh, I spent uh, a few years in the Army. Um, before going to college and after college, uh, I was an officer in the military, got out of that, became a stockbroker on Wall Street and uh, ended up as a managing director at Bear Stearns, um, <clears throat> started my own broker dealers and hedge fund, sold those and uh, I was looking for something to buy with all, all that money. And, uh, and I had Jones Lang LaSalle do a study for me and they sent me out here to Austin, Texas, which was a sleepy little town in 2007. <laughs> not so much anymore. So, uh, so I came out here to invest in real estate and I was waiting for prices to go down and I waited about six years <laughs> and it never happened. And then Probably was, won anytime soon. Then I, I met Tony at a, uh, at a Super Bowl party and, and we started talking Wall Street and real estate and, and, and he started saying to me, man, why didn't you pull the trigger? Why didn't you pull the trigger? It's time to pull the trigger. And I kept saying, are you sure? Are you sure? And, and, and I realized that he, he really knew what he was doing. So, uh, so I hitched my wagon onto him about five years ago uh, after moving out here seven years ago and, uh, and ended up in, uh, as a full-time uh, real estate uh, agent here in Austin, Texas. And, uh, and also um, we are now managing uh, a couple of funds as well uh, that invest in Austin real estate. Very nice. Uh, so you moved directly from New York to Austin? Uh, the New York City was where I was working. I lived in New Jersey, uh, okay. originally a native New Yorker, uh, moved out mm -hmm. here uh, after my career on Wall Street. Uh, Wall Street had changed after the collapse and uh, was no longer the way it was. Long story short, the, the small businesses and medium-sized businesses on Wall Street were all put out of business by the Dodd-Frank rules, which required just a, uh, an unbearable burden on these firms and everybody had to give all their assets to the larger banks. Um, okay. And I didn't work for a larger bank. So I figured I needed to go find greener pastures somewhere else. Okay. And Tony, before we get to you, Rich, I'm wondering how was the sort of transition, I guess, more from the maybe personal aspect uh, between sort of moving from Northeast to I guess, South or, or Austin, um, 
was there any adjustment required in your end or was it a fairly smooth transition? It's a great question. And uh, in all honesty, it was a very difficult transition. Uh, it, uh, it's, it's, things move slower out here. Um, okay. Wall Street is, is a fast moving place and everything gets done in the snap of a finger and people make decisions in a heartbeat and, and, and you've got to be the first one to move and you've got to be the first one to take advantage um, or else somebody eats your lunch. It's very different here. It's a relationship-based town. Um, okay. You've got to build relationships over time. You've got to get to know people for them to trust you. They want to know you. They want to have you meet their family. They want to meet your family. It's a very different way of doing business than I was used to. So I, in all honesty, it was a very difficult transition for me. But I'm glad I have, except for when I go back to New York now, everybody tells me I talk slow and I move slow and I walk <laughs> slow. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> Great. And then Tony, going back to you, how long have you been in Austin and what have you been doing so far? Oh, I've been in Austin since uh, 94. So I'm basically, wow. even though I was a transplant from Eastern Europe, you know, I went to school in UT and uh, a lot of my friends at the time left, uh, left Austin for greener pastures back then, which was, of course, New York, a lot of finance majors. Uh, I was one of the few of the old cohort of the people that went to UT that I was hanging out with that kind of stuck with us long term. Uh, and part of that was because of real estate. My parents actually live in Los Angeles. And okay. After graduating, I gave it a try. Uh, but Austin just had such a, an appeal for me on uh, the real estate. I, I basically started re doing real estate as soon as I graduated. About 97, I started doing real estate. And it was a very unique market that I didn't see anywhere else. Uh, and I, I could see the growth potential back then. And, and that's what I stuck with. You know, stuck with that growth and uh, started my own company in the year 2000 uh, as a broker um, and then grew from there. Um, we actually, I, I've been in, I am a broker and I'm okay. in the managed property management business, I'm in the investment sales business. And ever since I uh, started working with Rich, uh, we started commercial real estate business and started doing those funds uh, that we are doing now. Uh, which has to do with a lot of uh, land, land acquisition and development. Okay, and, and so you, you're 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 veteran of Austin. You've been some twenty six, seven years now, um, living in Austin. How has Austin changed since you got to, or basically since nineteen ninety four? Well, uh, it's changed tremendously. You know, I, I, I switched from being a novelty <laughs> as a foreigner to okay. um, Austin became a big city. I mean, you, you kind of went to school in Texas and you know how it is. Yeah, it was exactly. a lot of Texans, <laughs> not yep. much else. Uh, it's very different right now, you know, and, and you either like it or hate it. Uh, Austin okay. was always proud of being the small city uh, and that for a while it was called the, the big city that feels like small city, but then over the last, I would say 10 years, it became a big city. There's nothing small about it. That's left. Okay. Yeah. So the, um, 
I guess so maybe this is sort of the a question more of a general question to both of you, but you know what um or, or actually maybe maybe Tony has a little bit more insight. Like historically Austin had Dell, you know, for decades now. Um obviously as University of Texas, which is a large school one, I guess top ten public university in the United States, maybe top five. I'm not sure what's the latest figure. Uh, but, you know, the focus of this show is really technology. So I'm kind of trying to sort of like, I guess, pivot us towards the question. And the question is like, what is bringing all these tech companies specifically to Austin? Uh, I mean, undeniably, two things, undeniably. Okay. One is um, the talent. I mean, right okay. now there's a, a huge competition from all these tech companies for talent. And one of the big insights that brought this, uh, all these tech companies to Austin was when <clears throat> UT started their um, computer science and engineering department, um, which was extremely successful. Um, but it's not just UT, like all the schools around here got into that wagon and uh, the talent has been one of the probably number one uh, forces that's brought all these companies. Uh, the other one, of course, is government. When okay. you're next to government, uh, tech companies can influence regulations. And uh, that's, you know, Austin has the unique uh, position to being the capital of Texas and to have one of the top public schools in the nation. Uh, so okay. that's definitely. And I know from what I've heard in the past, uh, there was a competition between Austin, Texas and Louisville, Kentucky. A lot of companies were considering moving there. Uh, and that's way before uh, Dell and all the big tech companies moved to Austin, but Austin just won out. Uh, and right now it's literally a mecca. Um, the, the amount of talent you get here and the amount of, uh, you know, the workforce is plentiful. It's probably cheaper to do business here than a lot of other tech centers. Uh, and that's, mm -hmm. that's a big plus for sure. And, and I'll add to that one thing uh, that that is very important and can't be missed in the mix uh, and it's quality of life. You know, it's it's just a better quality of life out here. I didn't know what quality of life was uh, living in Manhattan and, and working in Manhattan for years and years and years uh, or living in New Jersey, working in Manhattan and commuting, you know, an hour and a half each way. Uh, and, and getting into work at 730 in the morning, coming home from work at nine o'clock at night. And there is a very good balance of quality of life here. And everyone is fit. Everyone is healthy. Everyone is, is um, uh, involved in the community. It's just a, it's a feel that Austin gets you. I, I originally came out here for a six month project and I had no plans on staying here. And I had already done a six month project in Houston prior to this and had no urge to stay there. But um, as, as soon as my project was over, I, I didn't want to leave. Um, I just fell in love with Austin. So there's, there's a lot of that that happens. I mean, you'll, you'll, you'll hear about it in the Joe Rogan podcast when he talks to Elon Musk uh, mm -hmm. And they just talk about Austin and they just tell each other to shut up. Don't tell anybody. <laughs> Interesting. It's like a, a, the worst kept secret in America. <laughs> so, so that's interesting. Like, you know, quality of life is something that 
sustains well at least used to sustain the san francisco bay area for a long time at least like the climate the weather but um what is i guess that's a very great point you brought up quality of life like can you just define it a little bit more for someone maybe that has not been to austin yet or what what does that mean like what what is what makes life good in austin well austin austin is very unique in that Austin loves being Austin and Austin doesn't want to change and people love Austin for what it is. And, and, and what Austin is, is it's, it's a kind of a, a very free open town, kind of a sixties hippie mixed with a new wave hipster type of a mix where you've got a little bit of everything. And, you know, they call it never, never land here. All right. Mm-hmm. A lot of people call it that from the Peter Pan uh, novel, Never Never Land. And, and uh, it, it really is Never Never Land. It's, 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 you can have fun and you can play and you can work and you have live music, you know, the live music capital of the world. Um, there's activities, there's things to do. I have three teenage daughters and, um, you know, they're, they're so bored when they go anywhere else because there's always something to do here. There's always something going on. There's always events. There's, there's, and then there's also the, 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 you know, just the quality of life of, you know, coming home after my 10 minute commute, getting changed, going for a run around the lake, you know, <laughs> coming back uh, and, and, and getting my work done from, from my patio. Um, and and it's, it's a mix of the Texas feel of, of freedom and the Austin feel of uh, being different and being allowed to be different. So everyone can be themselves and nobody judges. I found that, you know, in a lot of the big cities, uh, especially in New York, people, people judge, you know, they are very mm-hmm. judgy. They're not judging you. No, you'll, no one judgy will survive in Austin. It's just not the right town for them because this is, this is an area where everyone lets everyone be themselves and people really appreciate that and they buy into it. And, and I, I can see why, you know, it's, it's really a very unique place where you can be from somewhere else and you can live here as if you've been here your whole life. Um, and I, I like that. Interesting. And Tony, what, you know, you've been there for a long time. I mean, has it, has the Austin changed at all from that perspective? Um, you know, is it that's, I guess I'm wondering living here for, you know, 15 years or so I've seen, especially since 2000. And well, even when I first got here, I came after the dot-com bust and, you know, San Francisco was a whole different city than it was in 2019 before the, the, the pandemic started. Uh, but I guess one of the things that, you know, changed quite a bit was the fact that there was a ton of people <laughs> And that there was a ton of traffic everywhere you go. Um, I'm wondering is, if you compare like Austin from late 90s till today, is, is, is there a lot of congestion at all? Or, or how does it compare like to, to LA, for example, where your parents live? Oh, yeah. I mean, that's definitely changed. And mm-hmm. As the city grows, some of that quality of life is going to go away uh, naturally. Yeah. <laughs> um, and especially the kind of growth that Austin has experienced. Uh, transportation is a big issue, no question. Um, the good thing about Austin is almost set up a little bit like a European city. There's a lot of work and live spaces. That's the good thing. They're trying to expand that. Uh, but yeah, traffic has gotten 
tremendously bad. Now we've forgotten about it a little bit because the pandemic brought some relief to that. And mm-hmm. uh, you know, if there's anything that came good out of that pandemic is that uh, we don't look forward to coming back to what it is, uh, the congestion that it was. Okay. So now a lot of people do have the, the, the choice because of the way Austin is set up to live and work in uh, close proximity to each other, which is great. Uh, but there are challenges. I mean, transportation is going to be one of them. Uh, quality of life, otherwise, in my opinion, has has increased uh, besides the transportation because of all the kind of new venues, new kind of people, uh, restaurants. I mean, back when I was in school, there was not much choice of restaurants. Uh, right now, it's probably one of the best in the United States. You know, so uh, a lot of good has come with it, but there's, of course, some challenges. Got it. Excellent. Uh, so what is going on today when it, I guess to get a little bit more specific about um, your industry, real estate, um, I guess, can you describe to us, you know, what's the current, I guess, state of real estate, residential, commercial in Austin? And what are some of the new things coming up, like specifically, because, you know, we have listeners that might be moving their corporate offices, or might be actually personally relocating and working from Austin? So I'll take the question on the residential side, you know, I'll let Rich go over the commercial. Um, So residential wise, um, based on statistics, we have the highest um, number of properties going over asking price. We have the highest number of properties going literally in zero to one days on the market. Um, so the amount of people moving here because of the employment uh, is absolutely tremendous. Just like any other part of the country, we have a very big shortage of housing. Uh, okay. And if anything's going to kind of put a lid on sales right now, it's the lack of availability. Um, and one of the reasons why we created the land funds we're creating is because uh, we are seeing this tremendous boom. Uh, and we are looking to get land that can be developed, especially in the residential space. Um, so that's that's one of the impetus. Um, as far as um, what I see in the future, I mean, I don't see anything that's going to slow down the current pace, uh, at least in the near near future. So if anybody is looking to move, the sooner you secure something, the better. <laughs> Got it. Rich in the commercial? Yeah, on the on the commercial side, <clears throat> I had the uh, the honor of of, of helping out um, one of Austin's newest, very large employers that I'm not allowed to mention by name, that has made the news all over the world in moving to Austin, um, and I was able to help them locate space here. And in the process of helping them locate space to move their corporate headquarters. Um, we were only able to find three plots of land in all of Austin and around Austin that fit their criteria. Um, and they ended up buying one um, and, uh, and, built, and they're, they're now, I think, a 2100 uh, acre campus. There, there's no such thing like that that exists around here anymore. So um, if they're going to move their corporations, they're going to probably want to move quickly because everything's going quick. One, one, of, one of the impetuses for us to start the land fund that we started was seeing that all this land is disappearing. 
One of the things we have here is, is we have a tremendous housing shortage, you know, as Tony had noted. We have the lowest amount on the residential side of um, residential real estate per capita of anyone in, in the country. We have, uh, we have less than two months inventory on the market, um, wow. <clears throat> which is crazy. And, and anything you see on the market is, is, is either is going to be gone in a week or it's, it's there for a reason. It's going to stay there. Um, <clears throat> anything that's good goes. 90% of all our deals are off-market deals. Um, what we are seeing is we are seeing a, a boom like has never been seen before. Um, and that boom is expanding, expanding to areas around Austin. It's expanding out down to Buda. It's expanding up to Georgetown. It's expanding Del out Valley. to uh, Del Valley and Maynard and Bastrop and some of these areas. You know, Bastrop and Del Valley were the poorest areas of Texas at one point in time. Um, and now those areas you can't even touch land in because they're booming. So what what we decided to do was rather than get in on the multiple bidder side of trying to buy real estate, uh, uh, finished real estate in, in, in this town, which is extremely difficult to do with no inventory, we decided to focus our energies on buying land. Okay. And that's what we've been doing. We've been buying land in and around Austin. And we would like to buy all the best land around town, um, uh, 100 acres or more, because we're seeing a tremendous demand for large developments and we're seeing a tremendous demand for corporate relocations. And I believe that those two things are going to be the drivers of what is going to be the spread that is about to take place or in the process of taking place here in Austin, this, this huge suburban spread, because people don't want to deal with the traffic of being downtown. So they're moving okay. out of downtown and you're seeing all these city centers, such as the domain, which has basically gotten all the downtown restaurants and all the downtown bars and copied them and put better versions of them up there. So mm -hmm. it's, it's kind of like an Austin downtown part two, which is very unique. I've never seen that before. Um, and, and now we're starting to see it even spread out even further. So uh, we're, we're seeing the, the trend. Let, in, let me give you. Sure. Let me give you a statistic. Uh, I just looked at the available single family houses in Austin. There's okay. 449 houses currently available in the market in a $1.2 million city. Wow. <laughs> let me know that one. 1.2 yeah. million uh, population. population city. Yeah, greater Austin's 2 million. Yeah, over 2 million. two million. Well, this is in Austin Prop. So let's mm -hmm. call it 1.2 million. 449 listings. That's it. Wow. I mean, that's just insane. Yeah, that's crazy. And that kind of paints a picture by itself. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, a healthy market would have minimum eight to 10 to 12,000 listings. Yeah, very interesting. Yeah. And, and so this is a perfect segue to, into your current um, investment fund. Um, maybe if you want to just, uh, I guess, you, uh, Rich, you kind of already touched on it, what you're doing. But if you want to just, you know, kind of paint a, a little bit broader picture of, of, of the premise behind the fund and, you know, what's the goal behind it? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, I'm, we, we yeah. let me just say, we're going to have two funds, actually. Um, okay. One is the regular fund. One is going to be opportunity zone fund um, okay. to buy properties in opportunity, qualified opportunity zones. You have to have a special fund with the special rules. Uh, opportunity zones are a huge um, driver for investment right now, especially after the 
great announcement about the capital gain tax potential hike to 43%. Uh, okay. Because opportunity zones allow investors to um, invest money from um, liquidating any assets that gives them capital gains. They can invest that money in the opportunity zone fund and they don't have to pay federal taxes on, on that money, which is a gigantic benefit. So um, that's one of the target areas. The other one is just the regular fund with regular land. Uh, but the idea of the funds is to get land because we know what's coming. There's, uh, all the big builders are coming looking for lots. Uh, all the companies are coming looking for to expand their campuses. So the more uh, land, uh, well-located land we control, uh, the more we'll be able to develop it, to uh, entitle it, and then sell it eventually uh, to either builders or companies that want to expand their campuses. And, and, you know, my last time I started a fund was probably about 20, a little over 20 years ago, uh, 2000, uh, January 1st, 2000, I started my hedge fund um, and, and raised capital uh, and, and to invest in the markets. And, and we did extraordinarily well, um, everyone involved. And, and when I sold my fund, I guess I kind of lost that, uh, that drive, you know, uh, of, of running a fund, which has always been exciting to me. So when, when, we, uh, when we worked with the companies that we worked with um, and we saw the, the demand for large land plots here in Austin, um, we realized quickly that the best thing we can do is start raising some money. Uh, Tony and I had actually um, uh, an eye-opening experience where we had a client that bought 1,300 acres of land and um, they were a movie studio. And unfortunately, uh, because they weren't filming movies, they lost their financing. So they had to pull out of the contract. When they pulled out of the contract, um, the owner then took that land and, and we didn't have $17 million lying around to buy that land out. So the owner took that land, sold half of it for 45,000 an acre that they had under contract at 26.5 with us. Wow. And we immediately went back for the, the, the other 630 acres. We just wrote a contract for $50,000 an acre. And, and, and they said too late, we're, we're not, uh, we're, we're at 70 now. So wow. we said, let's never get caught in this position again, right? Once we yeah. have a great opportunity, we have that opportunity locked up. Let's make sure we have the capital to be able to put the money down on that opportunity so we don't lose it. So the impetus for the fund was that. Uh, and then the fund itself, we are focused in and around the Austin area, specifically Central Texas, Austin area, in the suburbs of Austin. And we want to buy these large land tracts. And uh, depending on the, on the we, we brought on a, a, an unbelievable team of experts, um, uh, along with Tony and myself, we have another partner, Lucy Yang, who is uh, the number one producer in Williamson County for land. Um, she's sold more land up there than anybody. Um, we brought on another guy named Jim Whitliff, who's been doing, uh, he has a company called Land Answers, and they've been doing land consulting since 1982. We brought him on full time to help us with our land purchases. And what's great is that every time Tony and I fall in love with the property, we send it to him and he crosses out nine out of 10 of them because either there's a, a, a something in there that, uh, that we didn't know about or we overlooked and Jim's looking at the 25 year plan. So um, we'll, we'll get deals come to us because of 
of our reputation in town, but then we have to really divvy those deals down to maybe where we're picking one out of 20. And then of those one out of 20, we're going to take that land. We're going to entitle that land while we're holding on to it. We're going to replot that land and we're going to resell that land. And the idea is to do a turnover in three years and another turnover in two years after that. Okay. So this and land is, it does it, I mean, this is sort of like for multi-purpose use or are you focusing on, you know, residential versus multi-use or something like that? It's a, it's a, it's a good question. So here, here's what we do. We look, we look at the land and then we bring in our consultants and our engineers and we say, what's the end use? What's the best end use of this land? And then we reverse engineer it. Okay, here's, if we're selling it to a developer, okay, here's what, here's what we need to do. We need to break it up into 50 square foot frontage by 100 feet in the back. So 50 by 100 lots. We need to put in sewer. We need to put in water. We need to put in roads. We need to put in curbsides. And then we sell it. So what's our cost going to be for all that? And how much do we think we could sell it for at the end of the day? And we reverse engineer all that back to what we need to buy the land at, right? Which is just one of many, many factors. Another is we could, for example, this weekend, we spent a lot of time up in Williamson County and Burnett County, and we found a lot of land that is being divvied up into five to 20 acre ranchettes that are very popular for people looking to leave the city or looking to leave California. They're looking to buy a ranch that they want their own space. And these ranchettes are delivered essentially raw. Um, if there's corporations that are looking to buy the land for campuses, they generally have <clears throat> quite a, uh, a game plan package in place that they've got specifics as to what they want on the land. So we try to gather what the best use of each particular property will be on the end game. Uh, you know, we're not going to put a corporate campus in the middle of a bunch of uh, 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 development projects. Um, we're going to put corporate campus more where it's, it's a commercial project. So um, we see what the end use of it is. And then, and then we back into it um, and we just try to get the best deal we possibly can on the land. And then once we, once we buy the land from day one, we've got our people on it and they're, they're okay. uh, doing everything that needs to be done, whether it be regrading, whether it be running sewage, whether it be uh, pulling water in, um, you know, uh, immediately get in touch with the townships, immediately get in touch with the city and find out what we need to get the utilities there and whatnot. So um, it's a process. It's a process. But what we're looking for is we're looking for larger plots because there are thousands of builders here in Austin that are looking for small plots to buy so that they can build one, th two, three, four homes. And, and we don't want to be in that, uh, in that, in that mess. Interesting. So I had uh, maybe some 15 years back, I had my series seven sixty three long time ago, but so I cannot remember all the, all the legal requirements, but um, just for the sake of the listeners and maybe some of them are investors and would be interested in reaching out to you. Obviously we're going to, in the description of, of the podcast of this episode, share, uh, the, your website and how people can re, or basically get in touch with you. But what are some of the legal requirements? Obviously, you have to be some like an accredited investor, right, to invest. Or, I guess, can you just maybe elaborate a little bit on on what a person needs to have in place before they can even consider investing? Yeah, Tony, you want to touch on that, or you want me to jump in? Yeah, you can. You can go ahead. You're yes, so, uh, the, the first fund is accredited accredited investors only. 
Okay, the first okay. funds, we have both the Opportunity Fund and our fund are accredited investors. Um, who is an accredited investor? You know, you can Google that. It's basically income greater than $200,000 um, in each of the past two years or joint income greater than 300,000 with your spouse um, and an expectation of that income going forward. And there may be a few other factors involved. Um, so accredited investors are the investors we're looking for for this fund. Um, our next fund will be open to 1031 exchanges and, um, and institutions. Um, this fund is not, this is more of a friends and family type of thing um, okay. where we want to take advantage of, of, of certain opportunities that are right in front of us right now that we'd like to jump in on um, and, and, and bring our friends and family and, and clients in for, for the, uh, the, the, the ride up with us on the, on the, on the gains. And um, the, the second fund we're going to look to do, we're, we're hoping to raise about $50 million on these two funds. And then uh, in the, the next fund will probably raise about 200 million. Wow. That's a big number. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's yeah. awesome. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, once we get the one established, we can, we can, mm -hmm. we can go to institutional investors and, and the institutional mm -hmm. investor sale on this is, 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 believe it or not, it's, it's a much easier pill for them to swallow than this because you have a lot of funds out there. that are trying to move large pieces of money that, that they mm -hmm. need and, and this is, you know, our, our expectation is, um, you know, we can't, we can't say numbers and, you know, we, we have a, uh, we, we have a SEC uh, accredited, uh, I was a series seven, series 63 as well, series 24. Mm -hmm. I had about 12 licenses at, at any given point. But uh, um, one of the things that we are very careful about was we went out and we got an SEC accredited administrator to run our whole back office. They are the ones that handle all the legal paperwork. They are ones that handle all the investor funds when they come in. And they are the ones that handle all the investor contacts. Um, and they can go through all the uh, legal ramifications of what's necessary with any investor um, without having to uh, you know, get us involved. So uh, we wanted to do it right. And we wanted to do it. With, there, there are a lot of small funds around here that are just friend and family funds where people are just looking to throw money together. And we didn't want to do it that way. We wanted to do it legitimately where it was all reported. So we went through uh, our fund administrators, a company by the name of Tribexa, okay. uh, like Tribeca with an X. And uh, they are based out of Aventura, Florida. And uh, we are one of many of, of their funds. So they are, uh, they're fantastic. They're a great group. We're happy to be Excellent. here. Excellent. Uh, and, and, you know, obviously whoever's interested can reach out to you guys directly get some more information but i'm wondering some of these um i guess prop or land that you're looking to acquire or maybe that you have already acquired um i'm wondering like how far just kind of it's more about my curiosity and try trying to visualize it how much is austin growing like how far out are some of these lots that you're looking at like how far from maybe like the downtown area i think I yeah, yeah. Um, you want to take it, Tom? You want to yeah, yeah. So um, something that back in the day I would think it's very far <laughs> has mm -hmm. become basically a very attractive part. I, I don't know how much you and, and the listeners are, uh, are, you know, familiar with the Austin and surrounding areas, but um, hour-wise, like time-wise, uh, mm -hmm. on a drive with no traffic, I would say an hour. Hour and a half out 
is is probably very very attractive. Uh, okay. That includes, of course, cities that have been swallowed by Austin by now. That used to be very small, and now they're mm-hmm. sprawling <laughs> big cities like Leander, Georgetown, um, Round Rock, uh, Pflugerville. Mm-hmm. Uh, all that is up north. Uh, I mean, we've gotten all the way up to Jared now. Jared is, which is a tiny city north of Georgetown, uh, basically okay. getting close to Killeen. And then south, anything on the I-35 corridor, uh, pretty much all the way to, to San Antonio. Uh, wow. You know, so, I mean, we are expected to both grow on the I-35 corridor all the way from Waco to San Antonio. That's probably going to be the Austin of the future. Wow, that's that's awesome. So that's very interesting. So that, that, that I was wondering, I guess that kind of gives me an idea. So really, Austin is primarily growing north, north and south. Yeah, well, yeah. cities usually grow along with the highways. So okay. when you have a highway, um, you know, north south, that's where you're going to see the growth. That's I thirty five, right? I thirty five. Now there's yeah. a lot of uh, there's been a lot of tremendous construction. Uh, mm-hmm. activity uh, of highways. We recently expanded 183. Um, okay. There's a new loop around Austin, 45 and 130. Uh, so there's a lot of growth. All that is east. And the reason mm-hmm. all this, this is east is because most of the major cities that surround Austin are either north, south, or east. There's not much west. So okay. uh, north and south, of course, you have Dallas in the north, uh, in Waco, and then south you have San Antonio, and then east you have Houston. So um, I would say pretty much Austin is growing north, south, and east. West, um, it's where the pretty land is. That's the hill country. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the development there is mostly wine country, uh, vacation homes, uh, stuff like that. Um, okay. The major development where all the employers come. I would say they're in that bubble, north, south, and, and east. So the, the I-35 corridor is very interesting because it's one road that goes from Dallas through Austin, through San Antonio, right? It's all, and, and actually through Waco in between Dallas and, and Austin. Um, all of those four cities, Dallas, Waco, Austin, and San Antonio are growing tremendously fast. Um, and then, you know, you've you got an offshoot to the east to go towards Houston. But that corridor, that I-35 corridor, I've read, uh, is expected to grow uh, by, by uh, something like 10 million people in the next 20 years or something. To wow. that effect. The, the growth along the I-35 corridor will be tremendous. And we also have another north-south highway, uh, Route 1 Mopac, that, uh, that has recently been expanded. And actually, um, once you get past into Round Rock, it becomes a toll road and it widens out and it's a a 75 to 85 mile per hour speed limit, depending on where you're at, which is fantastic. Um, I've never seen that before uh, moving to Texas in 85 mile per hour speed limit. But, uh, you know, it's, it's just it opens up and they're private toll roads. And you're seeing a lot of private toll road companies come in to expand because Texas moves kind of slow in uh, approving things. Um, you know, it's, it's, it te- Texas is notorious for, for taking its time and making sure. Um, and a lot of the private companies have come in to just build highways um, and while, that, while that's happening. 
uh, and you've got these private toll roads that are outrageously good. You know, they're, they're probably among the best roads in the state. So you're, you're really seeing a lot of the ecosystem of the economy happening right in front of your eyes. You know, I, I, I live on a, a, a 33rd floor of my building. I look out my door and I see seven construction cranes. And it used wow. to be I could see UT Stadium from, from my building and I can't see it anymore. I used to be able to see the Capitol and I can't see it anymore. I mean, every, everything's blocking me now because it's, uh, when I came out here originally in 2007, there was no building taller than the Capitol. And wow. they have now, um, you know, that was a law here in Austin and they've changed that law and they've allowed for skyscrapers. So what amazes me is, um, you know, when you show clients residential property and you show them a 12-year-old condominium in Austin, Texas, they tell you it's dated. And hmm. you know, it's only a 12-year-old condominium. It's not an old yeah. building. You know, but to them, it's an old building because everything is brand new. So it's perception. That's interesting. You know? It's really interesting. Yeah, I would say one of the feels you get when you're in Austin, if you've never been there, is how new uh, the city is. I mean, it feels... It's, it feels very clean, very new compared to a lot of other cities. Uh, and that, that's the reality, you know. And when it comes to these companies that are migrating to Austin, are, are they, I guess it obviously varies by company, but in general, are they sort of building their own campuses around Austin or are they sort of more looking for some downtown commercial space or office space in one of these high rises is there any type of a trend that you can see i'll say i'll say both i mean when you know of course you know tesla like to build everything themselves <laughs> they yep. don't trust other people to deliver it so uh, tesla is building their own apple is building a huge campus up oh, yeah. north yeah. Uh, they're building their own hotels. I mean, some of the companies are building their own living quarters because they don't trust that the industry is going to be able to deliver the amount of okay. um, uh, living spaces needed. Uh, then you have companies like um, Oracle that moved south. I mean, that's another huge company that uh, has made a huge uh, presence here. Uh, you have Samsung that's looking to build a, a, a microchip plant. Um, wow. And then you have companies, yeah. $2 billion um, dollar investment. And then you have companies like Facebook and Google that has a huge presence downtown. Uh, okay. I know Facebook was looking to rent uh, a gigantic amount of square footage downtown Austin, a, a deal that might have fallen through. Uh, Rich, you know better if that's falling through. Uh, but I know that demand now with the pandemic hopefully winding in the you know, downtown commercial space, uh, it's probably going to explode. It's been on the back foot, of course, uh, but uh, we're expecting a huge comeback. Yeah, Facebook's okay. reached out to just about every broker in town and let them know that they're looking for a million square feet downtown. And we just don't have that kind of space, you know, so I don't know what they're going to find. Um, they're probably going to have to build their own building. And, and you're seeing a lot of companies doing that, like Tony said. Yeah. You know where they're where they're 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 funding or they're partnering. Like Oracle is building housing around their headquarters. Um, you know the expansion of the the uh, uh, Dell in Round Rock, um, the expansion of uh, uh, so many corporations and a lot of corporations come in with their own criteria. Some want to be downtown. Some want to be away from downtown. It's a little bit of both. 
what I'm seeing now more so than anything is that, you know, downtown's been sprawling and being built up for the last seven years. What I'm seeing now that wasn't happening before is the sprawl is going out further. So properties that were an hour away, which were prohibited by the, the distance are now becoming more attractive. Okay. So we're starting to see land in these areas go from, you know, three to $7,000 an acre to, you know, 20 to $50,000 an acre um, in a very short period of time because there's a tremendous demand. And, and uh, you know, in, all, in, in, in Texas, we have a very unique environment because uh, everything is built here on aquifers. Um, you have to be on water. Everything has to be near its own water. Um, if you are building, you're selling lots, if, the, if you don't have a water source going there or the gravitational um, you know, pull from an existing plant to go there, you've got to build your, either your own water treatment plants or you've got to be able to drill for well water. Well, to be, build your own water treatment and wastewater treatment plants are just way too expensive for a lot of these local municipalities. So um, a, a lot of them are uh, requiring that once you get a home site, you put a well and you put a, uh, a septic on there. And there's a, there's a tremendous demand anywhere along these aquifers. And, and just to give you an idea what the aquifers were, because I didn't know that before I moved here, it is, uh, it's an underground river is basically what it is. Um, so there's a lot of aquifers here in Austin, which is, which is where we get a lot of our water from. Yeah. And, and uh, of course, you see this trend since the pandemic of mm -hmm. reversal of the trend for the last 10 years, which has been heavily... Uh, or urbanization kind of a trend. I mean, you see uh, a comeback to the suburbia with a twist of the 2020s because the suburbia now, you don't have to be far from where you work uh, to live in the suburbia, right? Uh, Rich mentioned something that Austin has very unique, which is basically we have a second downtown uh, where the domain is. Um, when you live mm -hmm. close to the domain, you basically live downtown, which is the second downtown. Well, this, all the companies that are opening a lot of their headquarters and secondary headquarters are in that northern part of the city, uh, and they're very close to the domain. So living close to work, living close to that uh, lands where you can get a much bigger home for less money uh, is very achievable. And again, that's what's driving all the, that development in the areas uh, around us within an hour. That's very interesting. Uh, so are, are there any, I, I'm wondering when you, Rich, mentioned aquifers, one of the issues here in California with all the growth and uh, explosion over the last probably couple of decades, number of people that live here is the issue with, with water and basically with drought. So uh, there's definitely on an annual basis shortage of water. Is something like that potentially an issue for a city like Austin? I don't see it because what we have is, is we have a very protected atmosphere where only a certain amount of money is a certain amount of, a certain amount of water is allowed to be drawn from these aquifers. Remember, we're on the Colorado River. So the Colorado River flows right through Austin. And the Colorado River is dammed up in many different spaces along the way to create lakes. But one of the things we have here are these underground, these huge underground rivers that just flow through Austin. Um, we've got, um, how many rivers there are in Tony? Like 13 rivers that go north to south. Yeah, And a lot of that is, is the flow from up north. So you've got this 
tremendous flow coming down underground and they limit how much you're allowed to take from that. Um, and as long as they keep limiting it and as long as it's not um, you know, all drawn out, we're not pulling our water from a water source that's in another state. We're not pulling our water from a water source that's in another area. It's, it's a very self-sufficient uh, setup. So I, I don't see us running into those water, even, even in the worst of droughts, when the lakes were, were next to dry, there, there was never much of a water issue because we, we, we have these aquifers still. And those aquifers yeah. are you know, millions of years old. They're just you know, huge underground caverns. Yeah, well, Austin is in literally the dividing line between the dry area and the very wet area where you have big floods. In. So we're riding kind of like on that line. Mm -hmm. uh, there are droughts here in Austin. Um, okay. They're very cyclical. I think they happen seven to 10 years. So there's time of drought. Uh, but yes, the aquifers always help. Um, you know, there's not really talk about that um, at the moment. I mean, obviously there's gonna be tremendous expansion. They're talking about expanding sewer treatment, water treatment plants. Are we gonna hit the moment where uh, that becomes a problem? It's anybody's guess at the moment. There may be yep. a problem eventually, just with the sheer amount of development happening. But at least in the short term, it doesn't sound like we will have a problem. Got it. Excellent. So uh, I guess in closing, for the listeners that are considering moving to Austin, or maybe they're already in a, in process of, of planning the move and moving, what would you recommend and um, any type of resources you would want to share with them? Rich? Uh, I would recommend that they, uh, that they go to our, uh, our website, uh, austinrebel.com. Okay. Uh, take a look at what's there. We also have a, uh, a link uh, for our website, which, which I'll send to you. But uh, I, I guess um, I could say it on here. Let me just pull it up. Um, Tony, you remember the link? <laughs> That's embarrassing. Uh, I don't have it in front of me. But, um... Hold on. I'll tell you the link. Uh, this is the link from our, um, our fund administrator. And we'll add this information to the description of the, uh, this episode so everyone will have access to it also. Perfect. Yeah. 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 So austinrebel.com, Austin that's, that's our commercial um, arm uh, for, okay. for the residential arm. They can go to uh, uh, Respace Austin. And again, I'll send you a link, respaceaustin.com. That's um, the residential part. I mean, we do help people relocate. Okay. Our main um, focus, of course, is investments. Uh, we do both Respace Austin. Uh, there's a sister company called Resalvi, which does the investment portion. We, we do property management. Uh, we also have a construction company called Vector Space. Um, okay. in, in, and all that ties up to, I mean, we've been in this market for such a long time. We've kind of expanded horizontally. Um, in you know we haven't gotten anything into the lending business, but pretty much everything else <laughs> we can handle. Um, we are focusing right now towards uh, land uh, acquisitions and development because we believe that's where the future is, uh, the future potential is. 
Excellent. So for everyone listening, uh, the information is in the description of the episode and do reach out to Rich and Tony with any questions. Uh, gentlemen, thank you very much for the time. This was awesome, very informative, and uh, I wish you all the best. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.